Hi, everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Consequences Beyond. I'm Caroline. I'm Marissa. And I'm Julissa. We're three UMass Boston gender leadership and public policy students who have spent the semester investigating a wide range of how leaders responded to COVID-19 and its effects on the education system. Over the course of three episodes, we'll explore national and international strategies and communication, differences in state initiatives and data analysis, and the local impact on communities, teachers, and families. The power that decision makers have in this moment have real-life consequences for families and communities. When we look beyond the politics, the science, the differences, what we are left with is a humanity that must live in this moment and look to an unknown future. Thanks for joining us. Hey y'all, welcome back to another episode of Listening to UMass Boston Gender Leadership and Public Policy students discuss all things related to the 2019 pandemic and the education system. So we're gonna dive in and look at how the 2019 coronavirus, COVID-19, or the big C, the Rona, um, how that connects to the education system at the federal, state, and local level. Um, my name is Marissa, and I'm here to share some tidbits and spark some questions for you about, at the state level. So let's just dive right in. If you listened to our previous episode, you know that we heard from Caroline about responses at the federal and international level. Now we're gonna zoom in and explore how two different United States states responded. For the segment, we're gonna focus on Massachusetts and New Mexico. These states were chosen for really specific reasons. They may seem like they, they don't fit or they might seem random, but we're gonna talk about how we chose these states. Um, for starters, all three of us, Caroline, Julissa and I, we live in Massachusetts. So this is really crucial to our daily lives and what we're gonna expect. Um, all three of us are students of the education system and higher ed particularly are of value to us. We're all in a online model when we otherwise would have been in person. So that's definitely um, one way that Massachusetts has responded to the coronavirus and education system, but also Julissa's a parent. So she is working going to school herself, but also has kids who are directly affected in her household. Um, so Mass is interesting because while it's a super blue state, but surprise, surprise, it's not as super liberal as people think it might be. Um, if that concept of Massachusetts not being as liberal and blue as you thought really surprised you, be sure to check out our next episode where Julissa zooms in even further to the micro level of how towns are affected and how the education system in specific towns in Massachusetts and New Mexico are addressing the coronavirus in their education system. So Massachusetts has an almost entirely democratic state legislature. We have democratic Congress people and we have two democratic senators, but like, wait a second. We stop right there. It's great, but we have a Republican governor. Um, the administration is with the Baker Polito administration, which was a white man and a white woman. And it can seem like New Mexico, especially like what is New Mexico is super random, but we put a lot of thought into choosing the state and it's ideal for our case study that we're focusing on. If we're just looking to compare the leadership of the two states, Massachusetts is in the Northeast geographically where New Mexico is in the Southwest. The governor of the state administration for Massachusetts is 
Republican, whereas New Mexico is Democratic. The Massachusetts governor is Charlie Baker, who is a white man, and New Mexico's governor is Michelle Lujan Grishman, who is a Hispanic woman. So perfect fit, right? Um, it's something I was really curious about was the, the question of how those specific differences of governing administrations or impact or influence the state's responses. So I found a lot of the education or school system were a team effort in deciding how they were gonna to respond to the coronavirus. Um, but ultimately it was the school districts themselves that decided what was happening from the guidance of their state administration and their secretary of education's teams. Um, so the states are literally so different in terms of state overall rankings and specifically how they measured those um, quantitatively. So if we're looking at the US news and how they quantified each state, they have this really cool segment or this really cool part of their website where they discuss each state and they rank them. Um, so overall, Massachusetts is the eighth best state in the continental United States. So this includes any territories or military bases um, or the islands in the District of Columbia. So Massachusetts eight, and on the flip side, New Mexico was 46 out of 50. So we're looking at seven from the top and uh, three from the bottom. So these states are pretty drastically different and we, we break it down even further. Like what are these, like why do these states rank like that? The first reason is because um, Massachusetts eighth, if we're gonna just like break it down step by step of how these rankings were created, they're broken down into different measurable categories based off of industries and social interactions and um, prosperity of the state. It's a very capitalistic approach, if you ask me. So um, Massachusetts eighth, because it ranks number two in healthcare, number one in education, which is like, shout out to Mass. Number seven in the economy, number 44 in infrastructure, 29 in opportunity, 30 in fiscal responsibility, fourth in crime and correction, and 26th in natural environment. So those are all pretty great, especially if you're looking at Massachusetts as number two in healthcare and number one in education. Those specifically correlate to Massachusetts response and their approach to addressing um, coronavirus and the COVID-19 and how they're in, in the healthcare and education are interconnected because we have, we're first and second in both of those industries uh, throughout the whole country. Um, so together there's lots of research and lots of investment in those two industries. Um, so on the flip side, we have New Mexico. So New Mexico is 34th in healthcare. They're number 49th in education, 47th in the economy, 17th in infrastructure, 48th in opportunity, and 47th in fiscal responsibility, 49th in crime and correction, and 23rd in natural environment. So the only thing that New Mexico specifically does better than Massachusetts is in the natural environment. Um, the New Mexico um, 
New Mexico is such a beautiful state and it's very biodiverse, just like a lot of the Southwest region of this country is. And they have a lot of tourism. Um, so New Mexico itself is the largest um, employer is um, the government in New Mexico. Um, and their states like economic pillars are the natural resources, tourism, retail trade, and federal government spending. So much of the state's income is directly derived from oil and gas. So with that, they put a lot of pressure on extraction of natural resources, but also with the tourism, and they need to highlight it. So that's kind of that double-edged sword and the catch-22. So there's like tons of national parks, forests, historical sites in memory of the indigenous population and Hispanic cultures. So those all are attracting tourists, but they depend on the natural environment. Um, so, and just hearing that information really highlights that the states have two different priorities or maybe not two different, but you know, they have different priorities and approaches and um, we can't forget can't just depend on the state rankings and breakdown quantitatively of how the states differ, but also demographically, New England and Massachusetts specifically is pretty freaking white. Um, so Massachusetts is 78.48% white, whereas New Mexico is predominantly minority. Um, so 46.4% of the population is Hispanic, while 41% is white. And lots have to do with the colonization, the settlement mentality, wars and traumas of the land. Um, New Mexico in its name was originally part of Mexico before the United States went in and took it. Um, so a lot of that land not only has traumas, but the people of that land were predominantly indigenous and Hispanic. Um, so that's a key difference of access. And Native Americans are the third highest racial slash ethnic population with 8.8% in 2019, which compared to the national average of 0.8%. And Massachusetts has 0.21% of its population in 2019 was indigenous. And as of recording today, um, November 22nd, there's so much research on how COVID has disproportionately affected underrepresented populations, particularly Black and Indigenous, were hit the hardest. And that's because of the lack of access to basic human needs. We're talking about healthcare, we're talking about clean water, the ability to work remotely. Just think of if you're going to a hotel, who's your cleaning person? If you're the last one in the office, you're really not because who's the last one coming in to clean up after your mess? Um, Who's the one serving you your food? Who's the one at the grocery store? Who's the one working landscape jobs? These are all jobs that most white people don't want. And therefore they're predominantly um, held by minority populations. Um, and if you're thinking about it, lots of research has shown that indigenous populations and Hispanic populations are the highest of living with multi-generational housing. So that means a lot of the populations affected the hardest are the ones with multiple families living in a housing unit. So if one person gets sick, everyone's getting sick. So Massachusetts education is definitely a priority. Um, we've seen 
in the data that Massachusetts is number one in education. So with that, like when we pair it, like I mentioned earlier, with being number two in healthcare, um, those two industries are the highest employers or the highest services employing most people in Massachusetts. So it's a perfect combo for being a leading researcher and having important education focused um, next steps and guidelines for combating and addressing coronavirus. So Mass came out swinging with really strict measures in March of 2019, both state governors released statements with lockdown slash suspensions on March 13th. But at the time, Massachusetts had 15 confirmed cases, cases, but there was no data from New Mexico. New Mexico's first case was reported on March 24th. Um, and if we're looking at the numbers and the trends on October 25th, which was just about a month ago, Massachusetts had a total of 149,000 confirmed cases when New Mexico had 41,040 cases. So like, what is happening with those numbers? What do they mean? Clearly something is going on. Um, how can a state that's not even a quarter of the size of New Mexico out beat them negatively, I guess, um, in cases. Like we're talking almost three times the amount of cases. Um, but I guess, you know what they say, you don't have cases if you don't test. So Massachusetts is really prioritizing testing. Um, even now, right before Thanksgiving, it's test, 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 test. Don't go see anyone that's not outside of your family. Um, and it doesn't look like we're seeing that in New Mexico. They're not prioritizing the testing process to protect its people. And that directly goes to talk about the education system because Massachusetts governor closed schools for just an initial two weeks at the start to you know figure out what's going on, learn from the data and the scientists what we're seeing and how they can move forward. But that two weeks happened and on April 21st, Massachusetts decided that schools were gonna remain closed for the remainder of the school year. So schools had to transition to a hybrid model or um, they weren't even hybrid at that point. Schools had to trans transition into fully remote. So teachers didn't have much preparation. The Secretary of Education and um, that whole department really had hit the ground running of coming up with innovative ideas to support our students and teachers and families. And come June, both of the Secretaries of Education and governors announced that their initial fall plans. Um, so from the time coronavirus hit, lockdowns happened there was conversations of what are we going to do with our students? What is school going to look like? What is the new norm going to be to educate our population? Um, so they went through multiple meetings, multiple drafts, and the initial plans were rolled out in June. And New Mexico had decided that for the upcoming school year, they were going to be a hybrid model. So in Massachusetts, was all about, hey, let's get our kids back into school as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. In the ideal world, come September, students will be back in their classrooms with their teachers, but they were also prepared for, if that wasn't the case, how would they move forward and address the situation? Um, so each Secretary of Education team told the districts to plan 
for different models. They would plan for a hybrid model, they would plan for an in-person model, they would plan for virtually remote models. And ultimately it was up to the school districts. So while the states themselves came out with guidelines and instructions, they left it up to the, the specific districts to decide what their plan was gonna be. Um, and this was mostly for the public sector. So public school system, while the private schools and charter schools also had to adhere to this, they have their own separate guidelines. Um, so on October 2nd of 2020, New Mexico's re-entry plan was rolled out. Their teachers were, or the districts relayed the information to them that 196 were gonna be remote, 562 were gonna be in small groups, 90 were gonna be hybrid, and there were four districts that were gonna be in full um, in-person model. So what that means is, that 196 school districts were operating at a distance learning stance and students and staff were not expected to enter the building unless staff is performing an essential in-person duty. They had 592 small groups, which was the majority of them, well, basically all of them, um, which schools are primarily operating in a distance learning stance. The school is remote, for bringing either in K to third graders or special ed students of all ages for small group instruction. And they had to adhere to a five to one student to staff ratio and maintain social distance guidelines. So the social distance guidelines were from um, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control of maintaining six feet distance and wearing masks. But again, each state themselves can enforce different rules where in Massachusetts we're required by law to wear a mask anytime we're outside. That can differ from state to state. As of October 2nd, 90 schools were hybrid. So they were operating in a 50% capacity, alternating student cohorts that all students would have access to in-person learning if they chose to do so. So the families would select online only options if their child was gonna continue with distance learning during the hybrid stance and four school districts and schools were fully remote, I mean, fully in-person. So schools that were considered micro districts and approved, um, they could have transitioned to full in-person learning. And that assumes that they can maintain small group ratios as well as social distancing while maximizing their in-person learning. So of all their school districts and schools, there was only four that were approved to do so. Um, in Massachusetts, while districts were able to communicate with parents and teachers to see what model through surveys that they would like to choose, pretty much everyone in Massachusetts was virtual or hybrid. Um, in November, they started with a hybrid model again um, in many school districts, but Honestly, I don't think anyone was fully in person for the month of September and October. And there's a lot of factors that play into remote learning and um, how students can learn during a global pandemic. Um, so students who are in lower socioeconomic families are disproportionately affected because they don't have 
access as a lot of their wealthier counterparts would have. Um, so are students really retaining their information? What supports are they being offered? The Massachusetts Secretary of Education website has full transparency of what they're doing. They have all their drafts uploaded. They have all their meeting notes, all their upcoming meetings to attend and have your voice be heard. But they're also publish publishing all of their information from their drafts to final copies of their plans and making them accessible to the public. So their website was super easy and transparent. While New Mexico is really difficult um, to find any of their data, that seems like they're not publishing a lot of their different meeting notes or their final copies um, to look at their thought processes and the evolution of how they're addressing the school in a global pandemic. So in Massachusetts, there are approximately 7 million school-aged children. So that means there are approximately 7 million children who are adjusting and directly impacted by the education system and learning in a global pandemic. Um, it's really interesting when you're looking at what each department of education, what they stand for. So in New Mexico, the secretary of education was Ryan Stewart, who is a black man. And they decided that the mission of their department was equity, excellence, and relevance. So New Mexico's public education department partners with educators, communities, and families to ensure that all students are healthily secure in their identity and historically prepared, holistically prepared for college, career, and life, while their vision is rooted in their strengths. Students in New Mexico are engaged in a culturally and linguistically responsive educational system that meets the social, emotional, and academic needs of all students. So they're looking at a really holistic approach to making sure that all of their members and all of their students in the, the school system have a holistic understanding of who they are in this world and what role they play in and how their education can help shape that and support them. Whereas the Massachusetts Department of Education and um, secondary education, is very data-driven and very much kind of the opposite of New Mexico and their vision because Massachusetts says the goal of the Massachusetts public K to 12 and adult education system is to prepare all students for success in life. So that's very driven on outcome. Um, whereas New Mexico was about the journey, as you would say. So we see some key differences in the two, the two states and how they responded to the coronavirus as far as education systems, but there's one key player that we're really missing. So there's not only federal, state, and local involved, but specifically in New Mexico, you have tribal engagement. The tribal and indigenous population is huge in New Mexico. As we saw, it's 8.8% of the population, which is over 10 times the national average and it's important in these conversations to really ask like how are tribal schools doing how are they affected and as a reminder yeah there are still indigenous people living in this country and they're hurting they're the people who are receiving the least of resources so conversations about education about how state administrations are 
responding and addressing the coronavirus in schools are really come down to the importance of access and understanding and who are these, how do these people represent all people, all of their students, all of their families, how can they get in their shoes to, to think about what students are gonna need or what they're experiencing. And as we've seen, most of the state role is really a guideline. They're providing research, they're providing um, action steps, they're providing requirements, but ultimately it's down to the local level and the state or the, the school districts to decide how they're gonna meet the needs of their students and what types of what types of mechanisms they're gonna put in place to answer education, um, answer their call to educate their, their population. Um, so while the state is important in providing that guidelines, it comes down to the school districts themselves to individually create mandates um, and decide what's best.